First of all, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, let me just say that you are a great blessing to the families that make up our congregation uh, here at GBC, and we truly appreciate everything that you do in the church and in your home. So happy Mother's Day, all moms out here. Okay? Um, now the message that I'm going to share with you, this is probably, this is just the second message, by the way, that I'm preaching on Mother's Day. I don't typically like to preach on days like today because it's so hard to find a topic. Um, but uh, especially this one, um, topic of mothers and what it means to be a mother. Um, so it's not going to be a typical Mother's Day sermon. Um, the message uh, actually stems from one of the current social issues uh, that we're facing in our society today. And that is to answer that question, what is a woman? Uh, it seems easy to answer that question. Like if I was to ask you right now, what is a woman? You'd just probably point to the woman right beside you, right there. You're not going to point to another guy. Like, no, because you, it seems simple. But we live in a society today where we can't even answer these types of simple, basic questions. Uh, and, and this is also going off of what we discussed last week's, uh, in last week's sermon about being prayerful warriors. Um, one of the biggest issues that we face as Christians and that we should fight as Christians uh, is the redefinition of what it means to be, not just what it means to be a woman, but what it means to be a man. Um, by the way, on Father's Day, we're going to take that up. What is a man? <laughs> or what does it mean to be a man? Uh, but since it's Mother's Day, we'll answer the first question. What is a woman? What does it mean to be a woman. Um, well, uh, my goal is to uh, give us a biblical definition of what womanhood is. Um, and then again, on Father's Day, we'll do that as well, biblical definition of manhood. So I believe that this attack on the definition of womanhood goes all the way back to the temptation in the Garden of Eden. The very first thing that the enemy did to break the design of God in creation was what? Tempt the woman, right? Why the woman? Uh, well, it is to show that the enemy's goal is to turn God's good design upside down. Beginning with the reversal of authority. Or the reversal of authority figure. Both in the spiritual realm, where uh, the, uh, the enemy tried to reverse authority, authority being coming from God to himself. So he's telling the woman, listen to me, don't listen to to God. Um, so that's one way of the enemy reversing uh, the authority figure. Uh, it's in the spiritual realm. The other is in the physical realm or the relational realm between the man and the woman. So he asked the woman first, knowing that the woman's not supposed to be the one who's in authority as far as the relationship goes. It's supposed to be the man. Who named the woman when she was first created? A man. A man saw the woman and said, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman because you were taken out of man. So it was man that was given the authority to do that. When you name somebody, that person is, you know, like when you name your children, 
that person is under your care, under your uh, authority. So that's why I think it goes back there. It, it didn't just start 10 years ago. It goes all the way back in Genesis. At the same time, I think the enemy knows, Satan knows, how precious women are to God's ultimate purpose and design for creation. What is God's ultimate purpose and design for creation? Christianity 101. So that his image, his glory, shall fill the earth. Right? And we as human beings were created in God's image. We bear God's glory. And for us to fill the earth, we need to multiply. If we were all guys here, we can't multiply. We won't be able to. We're not equipped to multiply. So the enemy knows that. That's why he's attacking the woman. Because without the woman, you can't do. We can't, there's no multiplication that's going to happen. Right? And there's no filling of uh, the glory of God in, of the earth. It's not going to happen. Right? So Christians must take this attack on the definition of womanhood very seriously. I would go as far as to say that an attack on womanhood is a direct attack on God himself. Um, so it's a very serious topic. Uh, even though, yeah, you watch the video and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it seems like it's like a, um, a skit from Saturday Night Live. It's like a comedy skit. Like asking doctors what a woman is and they can't answer it's funny because it's how how can you not answer that right but it's a very serious uh, topic so my goal again uh, this Mother's Day is to give us a good biblical foundation it's gonna be short because I only have one sermon to do it if I had like a whole month you know, we would go into it but uh, it's gonna be um, you know uh, general like broad strokes as far as biblical motherhood or biblical womanhood is concerned and uh, we won't be focusing on just the mothers uh, as well i want us to uh, focus on womenhood all women so i want to encourage and enlighten all of you um, so my hope is that for those women who are or are hoping to become mothers a solid foundation on what it means to be a woman will help you become a picture of what a god-fearing mother should be so i'm not going to sit here and tell you this is how it applies these foundations uh, are, are principles that you should take home, think about, meditate, and then apply. If you're a mother, apply it to motherhood. If you're single, apply it to singlehood. <laughs> okay? So I'm going to try to do this by showing you the biblical foundation for womanhood that is found in our text in Genesis. So first we're going to take a look at, uh, uh, gonna take a look at the woman's God-given design. That's the first thing we're going to take a look at. The woman's God-given design. Second, we're going to take a look at the woman's God-given role. And third, we're going to take a look at the woman's God-given purpose. Okay, three things. Design, role, purpose. First, let's take up the woman's God-given design. And to do that, let's first define the word woman. Okay? Now, I know some of you theologians out there, they're going to say, woman is... Uh, it's in the Bible. It says, it's, it's, in the Hebrew, it's Isha, right? from man, because right? it came from man. 
Um, that's woman, but that's not the word that I'm thinking about taking up. Okay, I'm taking about. I'm, I'm talking about taking up the original or the English definition of woman. Where did that word woman, English word woman, come from? By its original definition, a woman is an adult female. Simple. Just like Matt Walsh's wife, right? He was asked, what is a woman, honey? Adult female. Done. Okay? So, by definition, that's what a woman is. Right? Now, where did that word come from? Now, that English word woman came from uh, an old English word, word windman or we-man, W-I-M-A-N, or W-I-N-M-A-N, okay? Literally translated, wind-man or we-man translates to woman-man. Mm. Literally translated, that word woman came from the word woman-man. Ooh, <laughs> what's happening to our church? Is he going <laughs> to preach about LGBT? No. It came from that word, woman, man, or we can say female, man. Oh, now you get it. Okay? <laughs> female, man. Okay? Why is that? How did the old English people come up with that term, woman, man, female, man, where it came from Genesis 1.27? If you read Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then it says, male and female, he created them. So it starts off with one man, him, and then it became two, male and female. Now, I want to share with you a couple of observations regarding that passage. First, first thing to notice is it was God who created man. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Easy. First observation, God created mankind. Second thing to notice is that mankind, like all the other creatures that were made, were made as a kind of creature. Okay? Are you following so far? Mankind is made as a kind of creature. What do I mean? Let's read Genesis 1, 20 to 25. And God said, let the water swarm of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm, according to, hey, remember that phrase, according to their kinds. And every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. 23, and there was evening and morning, fifth day. 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to 
their kinds and uh, livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said it was or saw it and said it was good. So from the beginning, God created kinds of creatures based on what? What did he create first? God created the environment first. The sea, the land, the air, the earth. He created that first and then created creatures that will inhabit those environments. Right? So God created creatures that would inhabit the sea and the air and the land, all of them according to their kind. So when we talk about a kind of creature, that kind is based on the environment they're supposed to thrive in, they're supposed to live in. So birds, it's a kind of creature that inhabits the air, meaning they're equipped to be in the air. Now, we're going to talk about chickens and ostriches. They can't fly. <laughs> Why are they still birds? That's a different uh, topic. <laughs> I'm not going to take that up today. But you know what I'm saying, right? Most birds, they're equipped to be in the air. Fish are equipped to be in the water. Again, we're going to talk about turtles and <laughs> reptiles. Obviously, that's a different topic. But most fish are equipped to be in the water. And then there's beasts that are living and creeping things that are living on the earth as a kind of creature. Then comes mankind. Mankind is different from all the other kinds of creatures because mankind as a creature was not created based on an environment. You notice that? Didn't say, and God created, I don't know, like a house, <laughs> a cave. No. It didn't say that. Mankind was not created based on their environment or the environment they're going to inhabit. They were created based on the Creator Himself. You guys read 26. By the way, turn off your cell phones so, so we don't get that thing last week. Um, so it says there that God created man in his own image. Not as far, not as like uh, the other creatures where they were created based on environment. God created man in his own image, in the image of the creator himself. Or we can say that the mankind's environment is God himself. Right? Now, what I want us to see here, and I want all women to see here, is that completeness, and I would say fullness of life as a being or as a creature, in this context is defined by envir the environment that you were created for first, right? So the birds, the, the, sea, the, the fish, and the, 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 the beasts of the field, they were created based on environment. That's where they're going to thrive. That's where they're going to live. Completeness, as far as they're concerned, is within that environment, right? So... Uh, for them to be, com to be complete or to live their lives to the full, they need to live in 
the environment that they were created for. Uh, this is where mankind's calling as a creature makes us different from every other living creature that God created. Again, when God created man, he didn't create us based on an environment. He didn't create us based on uh, an environment, surroundings that will sustain us and uh, give us life and, and allow us to live to the full. No, he created us in his own image. And that's why I said earlier that our environment, human beings, our environment is God himself. Apart from God, there is no fullness Therefore, it is God that makes human beings complete. Okay? Single people, single women, it is God that makes you complete. It is in God that we can find life and the fullness of it. Again, I say that for all the single, not just single women, but single men as well. You don't need a woman. You don't need a man. To complete you. Jerry Maguire, uh, watch that movie. You complete me. No, she doesn't. No, he doesn't. Okay? God completes you. You were created in God's image. Completeness as far as being a human being or a living being is concerned. Uh, it's not defined whether or not you have a partner or you have children. It's not what it is. It's only found in God because you were created in Him, in the image of Him. So when you are in God through faith in Christ, you are complete. Apart from that, you're incomplete. Simple? Simple. So from the beginning, our wholeness as individuals was rooted in the one who created us. At the very core of our identity as men and women, or as a human being, uh, means that we are creatures created by God for God. Right? Now, when God created man, it says there, he created man, he meant mankind. Right? The, the, the book says man created him in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. And then it says in verse 27, male and female, he created them. That's why you go back to the orig original word, of that English word woman, that word woman came from. The, the original English word is wor uh, woman, man. Why is that? Because the woman, or scholar the female, is a type of man, a type of human being, a female type. Right? Just as the male is a type of man, male type. So therefore, from the beginning, mankind as a creature consisted of male and female, and therefore they're equal. Okay. This is the big discussion in society today, equality of male and female. That's why there's this movement called feminism, because women feel like, oh, we're inferior to men. No. We're just a different kind of man. Right? Not inferior. He's a different kind of. So, um, from the beginning, that's how it was. God created human beings as a kind, and he created them male and female. Both of these, all the males and all the female humans, both belong to a kind of creature that God created called man, who was created in the image of God. Simple, basic Sunday school stuff. Amen? 
Now, at its very core, the answer to the question, what is biblical womanhood, should be that being a woman means that you're a type of human being that is part of mankind as a creature created by God. Done. Let's pray. <laughs> That's it. That's the answer to what it means to be a woman. should be simple as that, right? But it's not. That's why it's so hard to accept the fact that our world has come to a point where society can't even define what a woman is. They don't want to accept that definition. They want to redefine it. They want to accept that the definition of a woman is just that. Creature created by God. Female. But as you saw from the video, even doctors nowadays can't define what a woman is. Most of those people that were interviewed there were doctors. Doctors here. Nurses. Doctors nowadays can't define what a woman is. But what's even worse is how some Christian theologians don't know what the difference is between what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. That's sad. Theologians don't know the difference. Right? In the book, Recovering Biblical Womanhood, or Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, uh, John Piper quotes Paul Jewett, a Christian theologian, regarding what distinguishes manhood from womanhood. And Jewett said this, and I'm going to quote. says, All human activity reflects a qualitative distinction which is sexual in nature. But in my opinion, such an observation offers no clue to the ultimate meaning of that distinction. Don't know what the difference is. It may be that we all shall never know what that distinction ultimately means, but this much at least seems clear. We will understand the difference, what it means to be created as man or woman, only as we learn to live as man and woman in a true partnership of life. So this guy is saying that the only way to know the difference between a man and a woman is to live with one. That's, like, that's why Jordan Peterson's answer to what is a woman, go ask your wife or marry one. That's where you see the differences. But isn't that true with just saying women and women or men and men? Like I can live with, this, uh, with a guy and we will have differences, but that doesn't make us different. We're still both men as far as gender is concerned. But this theologian is saying that there's really no distinction. Uh, you can't really tell what the distinction is. Well, Par Piper argues that if Jewett says that discovering who we are as man or woman is through a partnership as man and woman, then how can we know true partnership without first knowing the nature of the partners involved? How, how do you know that what you're partnering with is a man or a woman, if you don't know the nature of what it means to be a man or a woman. It's hard. Right? And you can't do it. That's why there should be a distinction. We should know the difference. Okay? And it leads us back to our question. What does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? So far, the first answer to that question, what does it mean to be a woman, is that God created and designed mankind this way. Therefore, at its very core, the identity of women and what it means to be a woman, 
or a woman is found in God's design of women. How did God design women and therefore lead us to the answer and see, so, so we can see the distinction between what a man is and what a woman is? Well, we're going to answer that question through biblical womanhood, understanding of biblical womanhood. So first we saw it in the design. When God designed mankind, he designed them male and female. Now, how do you distinguish between male and female? I would argue is uh, you can see the distinction based on the roles that God gave them. Okay? That's, this is the second one. First, uh, we answer the question through seeing the design of God for womanhood. Second, we're going to answer the question by seeing the role and the purpose that God intended for womanhood. Okay? You following so far? What's the role that God gave to women, and therefore the design? Uh, Genesis 2, 18 to 25. You guys read it again. to focus there is that after creation, God said to Adam, go ahead and find a helper. And he named everybody. Yeah, not everybody, all the creatures that were available then. Oh, cow, cow, okay, uh, lion, lion, blah, blah, blah. No helper. What did the man need help with? You ever think about that? That's why there was no helper fit for him. What, what did he need help with? To multiply, to be fruitful and multiply. He needed help. That's why the woman is labeled as the helper. Ultimately, it's for, it's for that. That's the role of the woman. And because that's her role, she got the equipment for it. Notice to also, when God created woman, Adam didn't give birth to the woman. <laughs> you notice that? What did the Lord do? Put him to sleep, took a rib out, and created a whole new being, just like Adam, but came from Adam. Adam didn't give birth to the woman. <laughs> Otherwise, they, he doesn't need the woman. Right? So the woman's role and God's purpose for the woman is clear. It's to be that helper. 
Now, one of the arguments uh, that this society uses as far as destroying the definition of womanhood is concerned is by separating gender from sex. Um, in a nutshell, what our children are learning nowadays is that sex is biological. Okay. Sex, what sex is, is what your biology says you are. That's your sex. But as far as gender is concerned, it's psychological. It's who you think or what you think your gender is. That's your gender. It doesn't matter what your sex is. That's what they're learning today. But I would argue that that's totally, totally opposite from what the Bible is teaching. But this is what we're learning. This is what the children are learning nowadays. Sex and gender are separate. So gender is subjective. Sex is objective. So what is plain in Scripture is that your gender, what your gender is, determines your biological makeup. Let me say that again. In the Bible, what your gender is determines what your sex is. You get what I'm saying? Your biological makeup is what it's equipped you to perform what your gender calls you. Right? And what is that for? Why did God design it that way? Because he has a purpose in creation. That's why he designed it that way. That's natural. That's absolute. Can't change that. Now, because we live in a fallen, broken world, what's natural, what's supposed to be absolute, does not apply to everyone. There are realities such as gender dysphoria, where it's a psychological issue. Somebody thinks that they're, they're, they're a different gender than they are. Or there are those who are intersex, that their sexual organs does not fit between the male and female norms. There are those people. And I, I want to acknowledge that. Okay? But that doesn't mean that because these anomalies exist, our response should be to change the norm. Or to redefine the norm. You can't get away from the norm. Because it's natural. Okay? If, okay, I like the example that um, Matt Walsh gave. If all of a sudden eating in public, okay, is, uh, some people find it disgusting. Do we just stop eating at all? Because some people find it disgusting? No. Or if you're, um, those of you who are nurses, if you're in the emergency, okay, uh, somebody called 911. 911, what's the problem, sir? I think I'm having a baby. And it's a male calling. Where do you send that person? If a, if a guy comes in the emergency room, and says, I think I'm having a baby. I'm having contractions. Where, where do you send that dude? To the emergency? Or to the psych ward? Something's wrong. Right? You can't be having a baby. That's just not possible. Or a, a cow all of a sudden thinks that it's a lion. 
I don't want to eat grass anymore. I want to hunt. Imagine a cow trying to chase down like zebras. A cow can't even, it doesn't have the teeth. It doesn't have equipment. <laughs> How is it? And even if, he, if it eats the meat, it won't be able to digest because even internally, cows can't digest meat. It's impossible. And you can't get away from it because it's natural. That's how God made it. So let me say it again. What is plain in Scripture is that what your gender is determines your biological makeup. Your biological makeup then equips you to accomplish your God-given role in creation. Now, what is the woman's role? Um, let me start off like this, and I'm going to quote Piper again and from that book, uh, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It says this, In the Bible, differenti differentiated roles for men and women are never traced back to the fall of man and woman into sin. Rather, the foundation of this differentiation is traced back to the way things were in Eden before sin warped our relationships. Differentiated roles were corrupted, not created by the fall. They were created by God. The reason why we're different as men and women is because, not because of sin. Not because we were corrupted. From the beginning, it was so. Right? It was for a purpose. And that's why God gave us these roles. Piper is saying that one of the ways manhood and womanhood can be distinguished from each other is through their God-given and God-designed and assigned roles. God then equipped men and women physically and emotionally in order to fulfill these roles. That's why it's so, um, it's so hard to see men competing in women's sports. Just women are not equipped to compete with men. I know some women probably are. Like there's some women that are stronger than some men. There are some women that are bigger than some men. But ultimately, if you were to match like pound for pound, no woman can beat a man, pound for pound. You can't. You just got to accept that fact, right? I know we watch movies, they, they try to make it seem like, no, the woman can do what the man does. And it, to a certain extent, they could. You watch Endgame? Who defeated Thanos at the end? Was it, was it Captain Marvel? The woman? No, it was Iron Man. Why is that? <laughs> Captain Marvel is the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe. Why, at the end, it was Iron Man that did this? <laughs> because we know, subconsciously we know, this is how it's supposed to be. This is just nature. It's just natural. You just need to accept it and trust God's purposes in it. So God gave us roles, equipped us for these roles as men and women. Now, that's not to say that since part of God's design for women is to, to have the ability to bear children, that all women should have children. Some, uh, some women either can't physically, they can't relationally, and some just don't want to. Okay? But the point of the design is that all women have the equipment to do to, do, to have children. Right? They all have the equipment. That's how you were designed. That's how you were made. Right? 
That's what makes God's design of women absolute. And it's for a God-given purpose to fulfill a God-given role. So now, what does it mean for a woman to have the role of a helper? Because it says in Genesis that Adam tried to find a helper within the creatures, couldn't find one. Then when the woman showed up, yes, that's my helper. What does it mean to be a helper as seen in the verses in the Genesis 2 that we just read? Well, there are many ways that this could play out in the lives of women. I know some women are already like, their ears are perked up. You better not say that. I'm just like a helper. <laughs> I'm just a helper. Just chill out, women. Just wait till I finish my point. And some of you are getting ready to come up here and attack me. Just wait. Women are called to be helpers. What does it mean for the woman to play the role of helper? Especially independent women, right? Don't call me no helper. (laughs) What does it mean for a woman to be called a helper? First, let's look at it in the physical realm. Genesis 1, 28 to 30. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 29, and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And 30, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Now, what does it mean for a woman to be helper in the physical realm? Women as helpers plays out in the multiplying of mankind. I said this earlier. Which leads to the filling of the earth in the image of God. Self-explanatory. No man can get pregnant. No woman can impregnate. (laughs) Easy, right? right? If you know a woman that can impregnate, well... You know, report it. That's one in the six billion. Um, so that's, that's pretty simple. That's the first thing that men need help with. We can't get pregnant. We can only impregnate. Okay? Self-explanatory. But please keep in mind the reason, again, for this multiplication. Why do we need to multiply to begin with? To fill the earth with the image and the glory of God. Remember that. Okay? Because... The reason I say that is because what about those who don't have children, single women or those women who can't have kids? How do they fill the earth with the image of God? Hmm? By sharing with others what God has shown them. The gospel through Jesus Christ. Mentor young people. Evangelize. Live in a way that they will see God in you and through you. So you can still. And uh, the Apostle Paul called the the Corinthians uh, um, as his children, even though Paul was never married, never had kids. But why did they call him my children? Because he's their father in faith. He was the one who shared with them. So, yes, single women, don't forget that. Even though, yeah, the main purpose is for women to help fill the earth with the image of God, you can do that too without having kids. Amen? Okay. Don't forget that. Now, after the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, what's the next command? God called the male and the female to what? Subdue the earth by exercising dominion over all of creation. Right? 
I gave you all creation, all living creatures, all plants, all living things. Use it. Have dominion over it to subdue the earth. So now, what does it mean? First of all, what does it mean to subdue? We're going to take that up, okay? Because some of you are probably, what does it mean? Why does the man need help subduing the earth? Well, we'll take that up. So now how does the woman's role as helper apply in this next command to subdue the earth? First, what does it mean to subdue the earth? This command of God to subdue the earth is sometimes referred to as the cultural mandate. There's the Great Commission. What does the Great Commission say? Make disciples of all nations. What does it mean to subdue the earth? It's also a command, right? Subdue the earth. Sometimes it's referred to as the cultural mandate. I'm going to borrow from Joe Rigney here uh, in the book, The Things of This Earth. By the way, uh, we're almost done the study, okay, on Wednesday Prayer Fellowship. Come join us. There's an invite to you guys. What does it mean to subdue the earth as far as uh, Genesis is concerned. Uh, Joe Rigney says this, the call to subdue the earth means that the earth as originally given to man was unsubdued, undomesticated. This implies that creation has unrealized potential, latent dimensions that lie beneath the surface. In the words of one author, God has embedded within creation a rich array of potentialities, qualities and characteristics, characteristics that he intends for man to discover and activate. Solomon refers to this process of discovery when he says, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. So when we're given onions by God from the earth, you don't eat it by itself. Right? You subdue it. You put it in adobo or in sinigang, or in whatever dish, and then you eat it. Same with chili peppers. You don't just get to eat that, but you subdue it, right? You domesticate it, okay? That's how you know where I'm thinking. How, how does the woman play into this? So to subdue something then means to take something that is good, right? When God created everything, God said it was good. So to subdue it to take, is to take something that is good and make it better. To help it into becoming better. Or to take something that is wild and uncontrolled and place it under control in order to make it better. So it means to subdue. Now the role of the female as helper is to help the male accomplish this task. And Piper puts it in his book as mature femininity. Mature femininity. Mature not in old. I know, uh, mature old femininity? No. Mature femininity. As in wise femininity. Okay. What does it mean to be a wise female and therefore accomplish your role? Piper said this. Mature femininity is a freeing disposition, a freeing character or nature to affirm, receive, and nurture. What are you affirming? What are you receiving? What are you nurturing? Strength and leadership. 
from where? Worthy men. In ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. Okay? So mature females affirm. What else? Receive and nurture strength and leadership. They don't take over leadership. They don't overpower. And some women are already like, hmm. I see, I see some faces. Like, hmm. uh, but don't miss the next part. From worthy men. If you're a man, needs to be put to the side because he's not leading and he's not strong. And that's not a worthy man. Right? Let me give you an example. When I leave, when, when I, whenever I leave my, my house, uh, my wife left uh, by herself with our kids, especially when our kids were younger. Um, she does everything that I do. She can do it. Right? Women here. Who, who, who here? Women. Agree with that? Like when your husband's not there, you can do everything that your husband But does it make life easy or harder? Oh, some of you, easy. I don't like him being there. That's a different one. That's, that's marriage counseling. You need marriage counseling. Uh, <laughs> no, because some men, some women, they, they, they are like that. But I'm talking about like just if your husband left and your husband is worthy, like taking care of you and stuff like that, and he leaves and you have to do everything by yourself, doesn't it make you feel better when they come back? No, seriously. If it doesn't, <laughs> Doesn't it? Now, if your man is not worthy, and when he leaves, you're like, oh, finally. One less, you know, one less mouth to feed. One less person to clean up after. One less, then, yeah, men come back on Father's Day. We're going to talk about what it means to be a biblical man. But if your husband does what they're supposed to do, then your job is to what? Receive. Yes, help me out. Open the door when I you want to get into the car. <laughs> Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> because there's feminist movement. If I do it, I get in trouble. Why, you think I can't open the door for myself? <laughs> it's so true. It, 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 it's all messed up now because of this mentality that, no, women are not, we're not so, uh, inferior. We're equal. Yeah, we are. But we're created differently, right? So when we talk about um, when it comes to um, subduing, women, that's, that's how you subdue. You affirm, right? What else? You receive and you nurture the strength with worthy men, right? And again, this definition of biblical womanhood will play out differently in the lives of women. But the key in this statement is that a woman's God-given role and purpose is to receive and to nurture strength and leadership 
from worthy men based on the woman's relationship with these men. How does this happen practically? Okay. When I was a teenager, uh, I used to play a lot of sports. I said this last week as well. Now, I, I, I'm good. I think I'm okay. Uh, I can play. But when my crush is watching, I play better. <laughs> right? Ben, here. Right? When you are still courting your wife, right? When they're there, you're like, oh, she, is she looking? She watching? Like, let me do, like, you know. Try to show off. Some of us show off too much. I know somebody who's trying to show off ate a, a whole pepper. <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> but he ate a whole pepper. I'm not used to eating peppers, but eh, I don't want them to think I'm a sissy. Let me just... <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what it is. Men look for that. Men look for affirmation. Right? Men wants to hear. Like, you, 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 you actually care. Like, you actually appreciate the things that they do for you. And then when they hear that, they do more. Women, tell me if I'm lying. <laughs> it's true, right? And again, that's, that's based on the man's um, makeup and the way man is designed. That's, that's, that's who we are. But women, you're supposed to just receive from the men, nurture the men, affirm the men. Don't take over for him. Leadership. That's what Eve did. Look where it got us. Um, what about in making household decisions? You guys are, those of you who are married, uh, with, I heard this from Paul Washer, and I, I do this myself. Like, before I make a decision, I ask my wife first, especially um, big decisions. You know, I, I, need, I need to see it from a different perspective so that I'm not blind. I don't have blind spots, so to speak. And I trust the, my wife the most as far as counseling me goes. She's, she's, the, she's the one that I trust. I always ask her for even little things. Right? Even what to wear. Does this match? Ah. She told me, wear white, white shirt. I'm like, I don't want to wear a white shirt. That's why I'm wearing this. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that when you ask your wife, you have to do what your wife says. But <laughs> But, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but you ask your wife, right? Now, your wife is not going to say, why are you wearing that? Take that off. Put something else on. She's not going to say that, right? She will affirm you. You, you want to wear that? Go ahead. You're the one that's going to stand up front, <laughs> Right? But man, you ask your wife, why? you want to hear, you want to hear her agree. That's the point. I just want to hear her agree. If she doesn't agree, well, I, you know, I asked my son, but he's also a guy, so he's going to say, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but it's not like my wife said flat out no. If she said flat out no, that doesn't work, I'm not going to wear this. Right? But that's, the, that's my point. Men, we, we want to hear that. And women... You give that without taking over. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You give that without, you know, usurping your husband's authority or, you know, leadership. Um, so when it comes to household decisions, same thing. Should we buy this? Where should we eat? 
What should we eat? You know, what about our kids? You ask them, but if they don't want to give an answer or they can't give an answer, you decide for the family. And you, 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 you run with that, right? But if your wife has an opinion, listen. Don't be just this, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the man, what I say goes. No, that's not very wise leadership. Um, and again, women, how do you affirm? You encourage. Okay? You encourage your husband. If they don't used to wash dishes, now they're washing? Don't be like, you don't wash it like that, you wash it like this. No. <laughs> you don't clean it like that, you clean it like this. <laughs> that's not encouraging. For the guy, that would be like, oh yeah, do it yourself. <laughs> because, my, like my wife always does that to me, well, before, not anymore. <laughs> she would ask me something, what do you think of this? And I would say what I think, and she would be like, no, that's not it, that's not what it is. And I'm like, why did you ask me for? <laughs> why are you asking me for? But women, if you want to encourage your men, if you want to affirm your men, encourage them. They're trying to do these little things, even though, yeah, it probably sucks when they cook for you. It sucks, right? Eat it anyway. Uh, encourage. Encourage. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? This is true. <laughs> encourage them. Uh, not, but not just affirming through encouragement. Affirm through correction. Okay? Now, there's a way to correct a man that will not hurt his ego. Because men, as we all know, you, you know, and we're going to take this up later on Father's Day. I have a lot of ego. We're the man. I felt that when I lost my job. I feel like, man, I should be providing for more. I should be. Because that's innate in men to provide and to protect. Right? So when, when he's doing something that's not right, correct him. But correct him without... What does the Bible say? With your gentle spirit. No, 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 not just that. I missed one thing. This is in First Peter. Quiet, gentle spirit. <laughs> okay? I won't put quiet there. I just gentle. Some of you can be gentle and still. Ah, nah, 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 nah. All right? Quiet, gentle spirit. And the other thing there is to pray for them. Uh, some of these battles you can't win. Uh, women, some of these battles you cannot win. But with the help of God, and with a quiet, gentle spirit, um, hopefully you will nurture your man, right? Subdue your man. Make him even a better leader, better provider, better protector, right? Again, uh, mature femininity uh, means to not only receive strength and leadership from worthy men, but also to nurture that strength and nurture that leadership to make it better to make your men better as far as their leadership position is concerned. The role of helper is very important as this is the same role as the Holy Spirit in our lives. Holy Spirit comforts and nurtures us by grace in a way that still allows for us to make informed decisions. It's not like the Holy Spirit is telling you, no, do this and you have no choice. No. no it's better if you do this. Wouldn't it be better if you this. It allows us to make informed decisions. And that's the way Christ introduced the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, if, uh, read uh, John 15, 26. 
You guys read it. I'm going to close here. Chapter 16, 7 to 15. see there since the Holy Spirit is also called the helper or the comforter uh, mature femininity is also rooted in mature spirituality right, you can't be mature feminine as far as God's design and purpose is concerned or role is concerned if you're not mature spiritually uh, because look what the Holy Spirit does he takes what he hears from Christ and he declares it to the man convicts him the man reminds the man that's what the Holy Spirit does. Wives, mature, I'm talking about mature wives, that's your role. To tell the guy, blind spots, you're not seeing this clearly. Look at this right? and change it. Right? But it's not, again, it's not a, a role that is over, you know, encroaching on his leadership. It's your role as a helper. That's what a helper does being a helper means taking what God created that is good and making it even better through receiving and nurturing uh, lastly the second way that uh, as to what it means for a woman to play the role as helper uh, described in Genesis can also be seen in the spiritual remember we saw it in the physical now what does it mean in the spiritual what is the role of the woman and her purpose mean in the spiritual realm. Genesis 3.15, and here we're going to close. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Isn't it ironic that God used the female to, in a sense, finish what the serpent started? Serpent started with the female. God ended it with a female. Remember, the serpent started his destruction of God's creation by using the female to influence the male. And God, in Genesis 3.15, reversed that. Used the seed of the female as a means for salvation and redemption. He used the female as the means. Salvation is still the seed. I don't want us to get that twisted, talking about that's why we should pray to Mother Mary. No. Okay. Salvation, as far as salvation goes, is still with the seed. 
But the means to it is through the female. That's how important you guys are. Not just in our households physically, not just for us men, but for the plan of salvation that God has for us through scriptures. Because without female, there would be no seed. Right? And so what we can see is with this biblical womanhood is that whether in the physical or in the spiritual realm. The God-given design, role, and purpose for the female is accomplished. What is that? To fill the earth. Subdue it. Amen, mothers? Let us continue to pray for and encourage and raise up godly, mature females in our church for the glory of God. And happy Mother's Day again. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, lift his countenance up.